0: We're in Exodus chapter 35 tonight. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 35, we're going to be looking at the tabernacle being completed, being finished. Anyone feeling uh, weary or worn out tonight? Anyone admit it? All right. Well, let's pray for you that, that God would give you refreshment this evening. So, Father, just pray for those that feel weary tonight, would feel wore out. And, Lord, we know that refreshment comes from you as we wait upon you. So, Lord, those specifically that are in that place, we're all there from time to time, that you would encourage them. And as we look at the tabernacle and see it being completed, Lord, would you encourage us? And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's so much of the book of Exodus that is dedicated to the tabernacle. The tabernacle is important to God for several reasons. One is it really shows God's desire to dwell in the midst of his people, for his presence to be in the very center of the children of Israel. It also points to Jesus. In John chapter one, it says the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us, the, the same word. So Christ came and lived among us the way that the tabernacle was in the middle of, of God's people. Also, the book of Hebrews tells us that the tabernacle is a pattern of the one in in heaven. So of the throne room of God is similar to the tabernacle. The way the tabernacle is laid out is the way that the throne of God is uh, laid out. We're going to travel a lot of territory uh, tonight, and so let's just jump right in. So verse 1, then Moses gathered all of the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, these are the words which the Lord commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwelling on the Sabbath. We know ultimately the Sabbath points to Jesus, that Jesus is the rest that we're longing for. This rest one day a week in the Old Testament can be found in the finished work of Christ. Colossians 2 tells us that it's a shadow pointing to, to Christ. There is a lesson for us in rest. Why would God say, if you don't rest, then I'm going to kill you, right? Because the message is, if you don't rest, you will die, right? So if you're one of those that goes seven days a week, 24-7, you are running yourself towards the brick wall called burnout. You're going to hit it smack dab, right? So the lesson here is rest before it's the death of you, Take that opportunity to rest. It's not in a religious fashion where it has to be Saturday, but pick a day of the week where you're going to shut off. The Sabbath was to be holy, to be set apart, a day to enjoy the Lord, enjoy those that the Lord has placed into your life. In verse 4, Moses spoke to all of the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This thing which the Lord commanded you, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart. They're going to take an offering to be able to build the tabernacle. And God says, this is not a have to, but this is a want to, to those that have a willing heart. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, it says, so let each of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when those are giving to the work of the tabernacle, they weren't to be giving out of a begrudging heart. Oh, Moses asked. I guess we have to have this tabernacle in the center of the camp, so oh, here you go. Sometimes in our giving unto the Lord, it can be that way, where it's an obligation or we feel like God's broke. Let me give a message to you right now. God is not broke, right? He doesn't need anything from us. He's good at being able to fund his work. So we give willingly out of the fact that Christ has died for our sins and you get to purpose in your heart before the Lord as you give to the work of the Lord, as you give to those things that are on your heart. So here's a list of the things that were needed to build the tabernacle. Let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, Ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Verse 10, and all who are gifted artisans among you shall come and, and make all that the Lord has commanded. So there's the need for materials, but there is also gifted artisans that needed to come to be able to build the tabernacle. Are you gifted with working with your hands? Are you creative? Some of you are of that bent. That's not me. Stick figures are difficult for me, right? And I think a lot of times today in modern church, if you would, artisans feel like there's no place for me. There's no place for my creative expression. But God wanted all of the artists to come together, and without it, the tabernacle wouldn't be built. So if you are creative, look and see how you can use your creativity to bless the body of Christ and also be a light to unbelievers. We look at the foyer, and the foyer has largely been done by Sean Rafferty, and also Danny Rodine, two men in our church. And I don't know about you, but I appreciate the creativity that they've put into the foyer. Before they really invested their creativity into the foyer, the colors were kind of reminded me of a hospital, not a place that people want to hang out right now with everything that's, that's going on. But now you walk into the foyer, and it's warm, it's inviting. That's because of the creativity of, of those two, two men. You might be saying, man, I have creativity and I'd like to be involved with some of the building projects around here. Well, contact Pastor Sean. You know, get a hold of me. I'll put you in contact with, with Pastor Sean. Outside of the church, to be able to use your creativity to glorify God. God's a creator. So when you use your creativity, you're glorifying God. What if in the unbelieving world that Christians were known for being the most creative? We know our Heavenly Father is creative, so why not be creative? Amen? So God needed the creatives. He needed the artisans to come together to be able to build the tabernacle. I'm going to summarize from verse 11 to verse 19. It gives all of the things that are necessary to uh, build the tabernacle. And we pick up in verse 20. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred. I'm going to read a large section here and stay with me. And underline or take note all the times that you see something of a willing heart. Verse 21. Then everyone who came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting. For all of its service and for the holy garments. They came both men and women as many as had a willing heart and brought earrings and nose rings who who knew that they were wearing nose rings but they were rings and necklaces and jewelry of gold that is everyone who made an offering of gold to the Lord and every man with whom was found blue purple or scarlet thread fine linen and goats hair red skins of rams and badger skins brought them everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering And everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts were stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And spices and oil for light and oin- anointing oil and for sweet incense, the children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring materials for all kinds of work which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. So we see, heart was stirred, spirit was willing, free will offering, willing mentioned over and over again in this paragraph. So this shows us that hearts need to be stirred and willing for service. Of all of the congregation of Israel, do you think everybody gave? No. Do you think everyone felt led to be involved? No. And sometimes when we see a need, whether it's in the church or in the community, we think, I've got to do it. They they said there's a need for this in the church. Well, is your heart stirred? (laughs) Are you willing Or do you just feel obligated to be able to do it? Have you ever served out of obligation? How long does that last? How well does it go? And then other times when your heart is stirred. And most of the time, calling does involve burden. When you have a burden for someone, a burden for something. Think of Nehemiah as he prayed for Jerusalem. When he knew that the temple had been built but there was no walls around the temple. He was stirred. He he had a burden for it. So maybe you're currently serving, and there's no stirring. Maybe time to pray about, Lord, are you calling me to serve in a, in a different way? Or maybe you're beginning to examine, God, do you want me to do this? Is there a stirring? Is there a willingness? Even when Paul wrote To Timothy about being a pastor and the qualifications for being an an elder in the church, he says, "He that desires the work of a bishop desires a good thing. Bishop is is elder. Where did Paul start? Do you desire this? Do you want to do this? Is this stirred inside of you? Now there are times in the midst of calling where we go, man. I know that my heart's not in the right place, but the Lord is still wanting me to be faithful." In my service. So we have to use discernment to be able to go, you know, is this something that's wrong with my heart? Or is there an absence of the Holy Spirit stirring me? Is there an absence of that willingness? So try to get the picture of people bringing these offerings and their participation, and they're all willing. They're all excited about the work and excited about the tabernacle going up and God's presence being in their midst. Also in this, that what I just read this paragraph, there's a variety of needs that require a variety of people. There's lots of needs be, to be able to build this tabernacle. So it took a lot of different talents. And that's the way it is with the body of Christ as we come together to serve one another and serve those that don't know Christ as our savior. It takes a variety of people because there's a variety of needs. So I want to thank everyone who gives to RMC because you've been stirred by the Lord. For all of you that serve at RMC because you've been stirred by the Lord. And it takes a variety of people and a variety of giftings. And the Lord is glorified in the midst of that. So the artists get called out by God in verse 30. And Moses called to the children of Israel, see the Lord has been called, see the Lord has called by name Bezalel the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he's filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. So let's see the different kinds of workmanship. It's amazing. To design artistic works, to work in gold, silver, and bronze. So he was working in gold and silver and bronze, also in cutting jewels for setting, also woodworking and carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. Notice that it was the Spirit of God that filled him, Bezel, to be able to fulfill all of this amazing work on the tabernacle. We oftentimes think that it's the Spirit of God that moves to enable someone to teach, to teach the word of God and that's true or it's the spirit of God who enables someone to lead us in worship and that's true or even the spirit of God that moves inside of someone to do administration like pastor Robert our assistant pastor the spirit of God is moving upon his life but someone gets out to paint and we go oh the spirit of God is not moving in that at all right that, that's an artistic expression. There's no way that the spirit of God could be filling someone to paint or filling someone to draw or filling someone with photography. But we see here that it was actually the spirit of God that was filling him to be able to do this creative work in the tabernacle. God wanted the tabernacle to be so creative that someone would see it and even though there was physical hands used to build it that they would glorify the God that they would see God's filling. So don't leave God out of your creative expression or don't leave God out of some of the things that we would consider to be secular. And what I mean by that is, well, that's just things that we do to earn a living. Not that they're sinful, but they're part of of a secular world. Could it be that the spirit of God could move upon someone to make some really good coffee? And that coffee could be a creative expression to be used to encourage believers and reach unbelievers. Absolutely. Could the spirit of God fill someone to where they're a really good mechanic and they're relying upon the wisdom of God and it's clear that God's spirit rests upon them in their mechanical work. When you study a lot of breakthroughs that have taken place in years past in, in different areas of science and math, a lot of times they were believers who were relying upon the Spirit of God. I'm reading a book on Louis Pasteur and all the breakthroughs that he had in science, and he was a believer who relied upon the Lord, and God helped him to discover some things that at the time were completely unknown. So if you're a math major... Well, rely upon the Spirit of God. What could the Spirit of God open up to you in math? Are you creative? Are you into photography and art and all those type of things? Seek how that creativity could be used to glorify the Lord. Just like we mentioned a few weeks ago, why would Satan have all the good music? Why also would Satan have all the good art? Amen? Right? When we look at heaven, what we know of heaven from the book of Revelation, God is an amazing artist. It's a little easier to catch the sunrise this week because of the time change. So I got the sunrise this morning. God is an awesome artist. It's a beautiful sunrise. And God, every morning, just puts that out there in his creative expression. In verse 34. And he put, and he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him, Ohio Lib the son of Ashmash. Of the tribe of Dan. He filled him with the skill to do a manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue and purple, scarlet thread, and fine linen, and of the weaver, those who do every work, and those who design artistic works. So one of the things that we see with Bazal is he also was given by the Lord the ability to teach. He wasn't going to be able to do all the work. And so he was able to teach others this creative expression as well. You can study this in detail, but this guy was amazing in all that he was able to do through the power of the Spirit. Verse 36. And Bezael and Ohi- Aholiab, I'm just going to butcher that all night. So, and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord had put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all the Lord has commanded. So chapter 36 lets us know God's still in charge. Even though the artists are involved, they're submitted to how God has commanded the tabernacle to be built. So as we read through this next paragraph, we're gonna see that the people of God respond so much that Moses has to stop the offering. Have you ever heard that from a church? Hey guys, just stop giving because all the needs are met. It's amazing what takes place here. Then Moses called Bezael and Ohileb, and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. So Bezael was in charge of this creative work in the tabernacle. Every morning they would bring in the freewill offering and he would put all of the materials together with his team to build the tabernacle. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. There's their integrity. They're not pocketing any of it. I mean, they're bringing in gold. He says, Look, we, we've got enough. We don't need any more. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be co- proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing it, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. In t- indeed, too much. Moses <laughs> like, all right, guys, no more giving. We've got everything that we need, and the giving was suspended. The rest of the chapter is instruction on curtains, boards, and veils. Details, instructions. I'll let you read through that as you feel led. And we're going to look at chapter 37, 38, and 39. You guys ready for this? I'm going to give it to you in about two minutes, all right? So am going to summarize these chapters because they're largely review. We've looked at these articles in detail. Chapter 37 is the making of the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, and the golden lampstand. So it's where they're actually constructing those things. Chapter 38 is the altar of burnt offering and the materials for the tabernacle. And then chapter 39 is the making of the garments of the priesthood, the ephod, the breastplate, and the tabernacle is completed. Moses was obedient to all that the Lord had commanded him. That's the fastest I've ever gone through three chapters. (laughs) And we're going to pick up in chapter 40. In chapter 40... I wanna try to communicate it to you in a little bit different way. If you've had the opportunity to rent an apartment or buy a house, and the preparation that goes into making that move, and you're finally there and you've moved in your stuff, what a great feeling that is. Guys, when you barbecue for the first time in your own backyard, oh, this feels good. I don't care what the temperature is. It's always a good time to barbecue. Amen? There's something manly about it being snowy and you've got your barbecue going, right? And there's some flesh that's on the grill. Ladies, I don't know what it is for you that makes you love being a homeowner, but maybe it's picking out the colors on the walls. You get to decide what those colors are going to be or being the mistress of your domain and arranging everything in the kitchen the way that you would like it to be, or who knows? Taking a bath, you're like, oh, this, 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 this feels great. But there's some excitement. I'm gonna read through this section and I want you to picture all of these articles that are going into the tabernacle that they've been preparing and how important this is to the Lord. Remember, they're traveling through the wilderness and God stops them says, look, I want you to slow down. I want you to build this tabernacle. Worship is even more important than getting into the promised land. If I'm Moses, I'm going, God, why are you slowing us down in the wilderness? Why are we having to do this intense, creative building project? And then when everything is set, when everything is placed, see how the Lord responds. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the 10th Of meeting, it's going to be on the first day of the first month. That's when they're going to open shop in the tabernacle. You shall put in it the ark of testimony, and partition off the ark with the veil. The ark of the covenant is going to be set apart with the veil where God's presence is going to dwell. You shall bring in the table and around arrange the things that are to be set order on it, and you shall bring in the lampstands and light. It's lamps. So for the lamp stands to be lit in the tabernacle for the first time and the darkness to be dispelled with the light. And you shall set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. So now you're starting to get the smell from the incense. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall set the laver where they would wash between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around it and hang up the screen at the court gate. So everything's getting set and everything's getting prepared and just put into its proper place. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it and you shall hollow it and its utensils and it shall be holy. So all of the utensils, all of these articles of furniture are getting anointed with oil. Set apart for worship. Not to be used in ordinary use, but only to be used in the tabernacle unto the Lord. We fast forward in the Old Testament with Daniel and he's before Belshazzar. Jerusalem's been destroyed. The articles have been taken not out of the tabernacle, but out of the temple. And Belshazzar starts using these utensils that had been set apart for worship for his own sinful pleasures and for partying. And he's throwing these huge party, drunkenness, and, hey, look, we've got the utensils from the temple in Israel. God then writes on the wall with his hand, eni, meeni, tekel, you You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And that night, Belshazzar was defeated, much to his surprise. But God wrote on the wall when these utensils were being used in a sinful way. That shows how much they're set apart to the Lord. So you can imagine and you can picture and you can anticipate what this would have been like for them to go around the priests and to anoint these utensils with oil. And you shall anoint the altar of burnt offering in all of its utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. And you shall anoint the labor in its base and consecrate it, it all being set apart to the Lord. This gives us an idea in the New Testament when we're told that we're sanctified, that we're set apart. When Jesus buys us with his blood, we're set apart for his purposes. Much like these utensils. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. Before they can serve, they have to be washed. Before we can serve and be used by the Lord, we first have to be washed. We have to receive. We're all sinners that need God's work in our lives. You shall put the holy garments on on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him That he may minister to me as a priest. All of the sewing that has gone into these ornate garments, they're now actually being put upon the priests. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics, and you shall anoint them as you anointed their father, and they minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generation. So, not just the utensils set apart, but the priests to be set apart, the priests to be anointed, for them to be God's men and to belong to the Lord. Thus Moses did, according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. What a sight. What a moment of anticipation for the children of Israel the tent to set up. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets and set up its boards and put in its bars and raised up its pillars. And he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it as the Lord had commanded him. He took the testimony and put it in to the ark, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark, the testimony being a copy of the law. A copy of the law goes into the Ark of the Covenant And then he put the mercy seat on top of the ark. This is where God meets with his people is the mercy seat. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. So this veil is placed at the ark of the covenant. And that veil stays in place where the high priest is only to go in one day Once a year, the day of atonement, till Jesus died on the cross, and the veil in the temple was torn in two. The tabernacle went to the temple, but there was still a veil, and that veil was torn when Christ died, where we have open access into the presence of God. He put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. So he's doing everything exactly the way the Lord had told him. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord. The table of showbread, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle. And he lit the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil. He burned sweet incense on it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He hung up the screen door at the door of the tabernacle. And he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. The first burnt offering, the first grain offering, and the smell of that going up before the Lord. With the, the incense, worship is, is taking place. This tabernacle is built. The artisans are able to look on and see their work now being used. As they built the altars, as they sewed the curtains and sewed the garments for the priests. In verse 30, and he set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water there for the washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. Whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting and when... They came near the altar they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. So was God worried about germs? Is that what's taking place here? I don't think so. It's symbolic of the fact that God wanted to be doing a work in the priest's heart, that their hearts were right with the Lord, that their hearts were set apart for the Lord. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate, so Moses finished the work. Whew. And go back and read the last 20 chapters. We've been looking at the tabernacle for 20 chapters. And the work's done. And he did it the way the Lord wanted him to do. What happened next, I don't think Moses was anticipating. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is God's grace, this is God's goodness, this is his favor, that his glory, that his presence would come and dwell in the tabernacle. No tent, no temple can contain the presence of God, but God is choosing to put his presence in the center of the camp of Israel. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We think about Jesus. Jesus is the word that tabernacled among us and the glory of God is seen in the person of Jesus Christ the glory of God is seen in the incarnation of Christ if you want to know who the father is look at Jesus look at his earthly ministry look at the way that he lived the way that he loved people his death and his resurrection so the glory of God is put into this tent here and now in the wilderness but ultimately the glory of God is revealed in Christ as he tabernacled among us, as he dwelt among us. We behold his grace and truth. What would we know about God if it wasn't for Christ's coming in human flesh? We'd know his holiness, we'd know his power in creation, but we know him personally through Christ's coming in human flesh. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So he's not able to stay. Moses was not able to even enter into the tabernacle of meeting because this cloud representing God's presence is so thick. This is similar when the temple is built. We see God doing the same thing. It causes us to be excited about seeing and beholding the presence of God. This is simply God's glory coming in the form of a cloud. Imagine when you die and you go home to be with the Lord, that you behold the Lord. You're absolutely in the presence of God, beholding him. That's why we see in the book of Revelation, people that are around the throne room of God, they're worshiping because God's so good, because he's so, so glorious. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of the throne room of God where he sees God's, God's glory. In verse 36, Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in their goings. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and the fire... Was over it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. When the cloud moved, they moved. But if the cloud didn't move, they stayed. In the Psalms, it talks about this cloud that they would walk underneath the cloud in its shade. Wouldn't you? If you were in the wilderness and God provided this cloud, I'd be under the cloud, I'd be enjoying the shade. The cloud represents the presence of God. The cloud represents the glory of God. And we want to be careful in our lives to move when we sense God's presence and his peace moving before us. And when we don't have God's presence and we don't have God's peace in the sense that that cloud is not moving, it's important to wait. Just wait. Wait in worship. Wait upon the Lord wait for him to move, wait for his provision. But a lot of times God is leading us through his provision. Where's the shade that God has provided? Did God open up a job opportunity and you have peace in the Lord to to take it? By all means do it. Is the Lord opening up a friendship, a relationship? Maybe the Lord's leading you to, to be married and God's presence and his peace is with you. When you're spending time with that person, you also are experiencing the presence of the Lord. But there are also those times where we go, you know, I don't have God's peace in this. Something is missing in this. I'm trying to force this. There's no movement happening here, but I'm trying to, to make movement take place. Slow down and wait. In Colossians, it says, let the peace of God rule your hearts. And that word Rule is like an umpire that says this is in bounds and out of bounds. What a cool way for God to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness. Do you think that there was some times where they're going, I want the cloud to move? I, what's the point of sitting here in the wilderness? God, could you please move this cloud thing along and just wait and wait and wait? And there's probably some other times where they enjoyed where they were camping out. They're like, really? The clouds got to move? But when the cloud moved, they went with the cloud. A beautiful picture of God leading us with his presence and his peace. And then at night, there was this pillar of fire that was with them by night. What a cool thing. Here they are camping out in the wilderness, in the dark. But there's this pillar of fire that is with them. There's no people on the face of the earth at this time that have God dwelling with them in this way. They've got the tabernacle with God's presence. They've got the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. So what's the application for us tonight as we look at the tabernacle? Why such a large section devoted in the book of Exodus to the tabernacle? First, it shows us in great detail that God wants to tabernacle with his people. He wants to dwell with us. What is the name given to Jesus when he's born? Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Now, as we've studied together the children of Israel, could we say they're a bunch of knuckleheads? God actually called them stiff-necked, just rebellious, If we spent time with the children of Israel, we would hear the murmur murmur I hate Moses, I hate my life, right? Always wishing to go back to Egypt. The first generation doesn't even get to go to the end of the promised land because of unbelief. I don't know that I would want to spend time with the children of Israel in the wilderness. How about you? Right? But we see ourselves in the children of Israel, don't we? We see the same kind of attitudes and behaviors and disbelief sometimes, and yet God in his grace wanted to dwell with them, and that's our God. That's our Savior. We look at our lives, and we see sin, and it's absolutely true. God looks at us, and he says, I want to dwell with you to the point where he would send his son to die for us so that he could dwell with us. So we also See here the incarnation of Christ with the tabernacle. Not only God's desire to dwell with his people, but we see the incarnation of Christ. The tabernacle is a picture of Jesus who dwells among us. And because Jesus dwelled among us and died for our sins, as soon as we trust Christ as our Savior, we're what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, where God's presence now is not in a tent. God's presence is not in the temple, but it's in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. God's Spirit lives inside of you. Also, the book of Hebrews tells us that this earthly tabernacle is a shadow of the throne room of God. So when you get to heaven, look for the table of showbread. When you look get to heaven, look for the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on top, because God's saying, look, I want you to build this to a specific model. And then a side point of this in this section of scripture is what's stirring you? What's stirring your heart? What is it that God is really moving inside of you? You're saying, man, I really have a heart for this. Or I have a heart for orphans. Or I have a heart for the single mom. Or I have a heart for my neighbor. Or man, my heart's really burdened for this member of my family. Or... I wonder if the church is in need of this. And what is it that God is stirring in your heart? Because when we serve out of that stirring in our heart, man, God God is glorified. And if our heart isn't stirred, ask God to stir your heart. Saying, Lord, it's been a long time since my heart has been stirred for service. Would you stir my heart in the things that you're calling me to? And then try to allow all of your gifts to be used to glorify the Lord. And if you're gifted in working with your hands and you're gifted in the creative realm or the mathematical realm, and you've never seen that as a gift from the Lord, is allow the Holy Spirit to fill that gift and use it to glorify the Lord. Be creative to honor the Lord, just like they did here in the tabernacle. Well, guys, we finished the book of Exodus. Pretty good. Praise the Lord, huh? So next week, we're going to start the book of Leviticus and the sacrifices that point to the sacrifice of Christ. Would you stand with me and let's pray together? Hmm. Father, we thank you that you desire to dwell in the midst of us, a sinful people. We see that with the tabernacle, And we experience it in our lives. That we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know us better than we know ourselves. We thank you for that. Jesus, we thank you that you tabernacled, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that you're Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, in our lives, we do desire for you to, to lead us with your cloud, to lead us with your shade, to comfort us with your, your fire, your light, that our lives could glorify you. Lord, I pray for those that are really gifted in the creative realm, that are artists, that you would inspire them to use their creativity to glorify you. We pray inside of this church that there would be a creative expression that would bring you honor and bring you praise and, and bring you glory. And God, just as we have read here at the end of Exodus of of your glory, of your presence coming amongst your people, we know that you do dwell with us, but we're asking in our lives personally, and we're asking as a church that your glory would fall on us. Lord, would your presence be thick with us as we gather together in homes and men's and women's and youth here in the sanctuary? God, you're welcome here. Even tonight as we take communion, would your, your spirit be thick in this place and as we go in our homes and in our workplace and endeavor to reach out to those that don't know you, Lord, we need your presence. Last week as we looked in Acts chapter two with the pouring of your Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit coming upon the church and your presence being manifest, Lord, we pray for that in our lives. Right now, God, we just wait upon you and we ask for your glory to fill our lives. God, would you empty us out of those things that don't glorify you? Would you take doubt out of our hearts? How would you take anger and lust and bitterness and covetousness out of our hearts. We make room for you to, to dwell in us, God. So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.